Welcome back, Lemon Drops. Uh, this is Yesenia. And Kiara, and we're back for another week. Back in the closet. Yeah. And <laughs> we, we just... have a guest today. Yes, we, we just finished interviewing uh, Jacqueline Vranikar. She is a stage four metastatic breast cancer, I can say survivor, but she's going through it. Thriver, so, she says. She's thriver. a thriver. <laughs> and um, she really just shared from her heart and um this week we just want to share her story with you all and uh, maybe you guys can follow along and support her cause of reaching fifty thousand dollars um she has a charity that is donating a hundred percent of its proceeds towards the cause of metastatic breast cancer research so stay tuned and listen in and um can't wait to hear your feedback and fall in love with jacqueline like we did well, it's so nice to meet you, Jacqueline. I'm Yesenia. It's so nice to meet you. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet yeah. you. Um, yeah. So your friend reached out and said that she felt passionately about highlighting metastatic breast yeah. cancer during October. So she said mm-hmm. you would be the perfect person to talk to. Um, so we kind of just wanted to know before we get into that about you. So just tell us about yeah, who sure. you are and whatever you want to share. Yeah. Um, well, I feel a little bit like I have kind of become my diagnosis, which in a, in a positive way, but I mean, so trying to say who I am outside of that, like before all of this, I was just a regular stay at home mom. Um, we have four kiddos, like I said, and, uh, we'll have a teenager as of Saturday. So our, our oldest is 13. Um, then our next is 10. Uh, seven and then our daughter's four so we have three little boys and a girl and um yeah i live in the suburbs of minneapolis and like i said i've been staying at home since our second child because i think like a lot of people i was working to pay for daycare yeah and uh wasn't super passionate about my line of work i was working in generic marketing um, my husband and I have been married 16 years. I'm from a super small town in northern Minnesota. Okay. If my accent doesn't give it away. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out where the accent was from. Oh, my God. We're up there. In the north. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, side note, have you ever seen the Kirstie Alley and Kirsten Dunst, actually, the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, our accents aren't that bad. But if I really, if I'm around like older generations who have a thicker accent, it comes on pretty easily. So yeah. I- <laughs> that's so funny. I always think of, um, didn't in Bobby's world, are you familiar with Bobby's world, the cartoon? Yeah, I am. Weren't they from somewhere? Because I remember the mom always saying, don't channel. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could, they could be from Canada too. So, you know, we're pretty, uh-huh. no, I I we share, we share that, that uh, accent a little bit. Yeah, it's so funny. Well, yeah. it's so nice to meet you. But it's interesting how you say that you've become your mm. diagnosis now. Like, when did that really? So tell us about your diagnosis. Yeah, so um, we we're pretty close to my two-year cancerversary. Okay. I, was, um, I was 38 and super active, really healthy. Um, we were done having kids. And I just went in for my annual exam, which included a breast exam by my um, my OBGYN. And there was, I mean, she felt nothing. I felt fine, but I did feel a little bit like I'm, 
I've determined that it must be the best I can describe it is like woman's intuition or like the feeling you get when you leave home and you're like, did I leave the coffee maker on that type of thing? It just felt like something wasn't right. So she said, rewind slightly. My mother died of stomach cancer when she was 51. Okay. Which, so I was kind of hyper vigilant about my health because, you know, that's a young age to die from such a horrible disease. And so she knew that I was um, pretty in tune with myself. And she said, okay, well, let's just start with baseline lab work. And it's not unreasonable to do a mammogram at your age since you're only two years um, until the recommended age. And it was in that mammogram that we found my tumor. I mean, how big was the tumor? Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't, you said you couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel it. She didn't feel it. It was three centimeters. Um, But a lot of young women have dense breast tissue. I was just going to ask that. Are you large mm -hmm. chested or no breast tissue? Like I'm I'm not, but I do. I did. Don't have any (laughs) breast tissue anymore, (laughs) but I did have dense breasts. But, you know, I was doing routine breast exams. I maybe was doing them incorrectly, but my doctor didn't feel it either. So um, I feel super fortunate to have had a healthcare provider that was listening to me and was open to getting the type of screening that I wanted to do. Initially, we thought it was stage 2B because it had um, was not any of my lymph nodes, mm-hmm. uh, we thought. And, and we did a full body scan. Something did pop up on my liver, but it didn't light up like cancer does. So we determined that it must be a benign mass. He said that at some point we should probably have it removed because we don't know how long it's been there, what it is, that type of thing. So um, that was November of 2020, which is in COVID. So you can imagine being diagnosed with cancer and COVID was super fun. And so we um, had my port placed and for my chemotherapy and my cancer was um, considered triple positive which means that it was hormone fed and it had the component of being HER2 positive, which is an aggressive protein. Um, because of research, they have very targeted um, medication for HER2. So I completed a, a year of immunotherapy for that. And for the other portion of my um, cancer treatment, I did 12 rounds of Taxol chemotherapy, which I lost my hair and my eyelashes and eyebrows and Actually, the lashes and brows waited for a month after I completed chemo, and then they fell out. So it was like kicking me when I was. But you were like, I get to keep them. No, just yes. me. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Yeah. Um, and then after the chemo, I did a double mastectomy to reconstruction, which uh, for me, that meant they put uh, tissue expanders in. And then you go every week and you fill the expander. Um, but during that time, I'd, I'd also scheduled... Uh, surgery for my liver. So I thought, well, I'm already in the thick of it. Let's just take care of my liver as well. So six weeks later, I had a liver resection. We removed 60% of my liver. And yeah, it was, that was been the toughest surgery by far. Um, But your liver regenerates itself. So it's like, you know, if you're going to have to cut out an organ, the liver is pretty okay to do. Yeah. And um, uh, once the doctor had that out, he said, you know what, Uh, this actually does look cancerous. And so I had four months of thinking that I was going to be curable. But with that, uh, with that news, I had actually already been stage four from diagnosis, which is called de novo um, metastatic breast cancer. De novo means from onset or from diagnosis. Okay. Okay. 
during that surgery as well, I had my an ophorectomy and had my ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. So I was put into menopause at that point because um, don't want any hormones in my body because that's what my cancer feeds off of. So we got that news and it was, I mean, I remember walking down to get my kids from the bus and on the phone with my oncologist. And I said, well, what does this mean? And she said, well... I mean, stage four is incurable. And the statistics, she told me, don't go on Google. The statistics are dated. But I mean, the statistics say that the five-year survival rate for stage four is about 22%. Mm-hmm. So it's not great. Um, but my cancer, I had a single lesion to my liver. That means that I have a much better prognosis, I guess. Um I am being treated curatively. Uh, when we removed that lesion from my liver, or removed my liver and the lesion, I have been um, no evidence of disease. So because it's stage four, I can never say that I am cured because it's sneaky and it could just be lying dormant somewhere. So I'll be in treatment the rest of my, the rest of my life. Um, but uh, following the liver resection, I did 29 rounds of radiation because I had alluded to earlier, we thought my lymph nodes were clear. Turns out that there was a trace of cancer in one of my sentinel nodes. And that's why we opted to do radiation as well, just to really attack anything that might still be mm-hmm. st- still be in there. Um, yeah. And then I started a daily hormone blocker and a uh, oral chemotherapy that I take twice a day at home. And I'm still doing reconstruction. And this um, is in a, in a two years <laughs> All of what I just shared with you is one year. Wow. That's incredibly yeah. intense on your body. In the middle yeah. of COVID too. Yeah. In the middle of COVID. I did all my treatments um, by myself. Fortunately for my surgeries, my husband could, I could have one visitor. Um, you guys but it's like an amazing support system. <laughs> family. Yeah. Like how have you guys managed? Yeah. To yeah. Or kiddos. Yeah, I have an amazing, I have amazing friends. Really, I mean, just the best of the best. We, I don't want to say too much help, but not, we had more than enough help. We had people, you know, showing up. We had a, a freezer. We had to tell people, please stop bringing food. We have so much food. Yeah. So we feel very fortunate in that way that um, financially, our insurance is great. And, you know, emotionally, I have so many girlfriends who, you know, continue to show up for me. Um, they need to. Yes. And the kids, the kids school has been great. I mean, really, I couldn't. It's funny what you uh, think you're lucky for. I feel very lucky that we have the situation that we do because it could be I realize that it, it, not everyone has this. Right. So very fortunate in that way. Yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, so that was, was the first year. <laughs> first thing that I would think is like your mom would be your biggest support system. Mm-hmm. So that must be hard to go through all that without her. Does your husband's or your husband's parents close and supportive? My husband's parents do live very close and they have spent um, a lot of time with the kids. I have the best sister-in-laws oh, good. Uh, ever. That's- I mean, and they live super close. So they've been a huge part of uh, the support that we've received. What was your initial feeling around? I mean, I guess your, your diagnosis came in so many waves and steps, but what was your initial like emotional feeling Mm -hmm. on this life-changing thing? Mm -hmm. 
Um, just devastation. Yeah. I mean, you start living in three month increments of scan to scan, you know, waiting for it to start um, growing again. Um, yeah, devastation. It was as if um, I was in the middle of the ocean and there was nothing that I could grab onto. I immediately started scouring the internet for women who had outlived the statistics. Mm-hmm. I was looking for, you know, um, my same type of cancer. Like how long do they live? It can't be mine. It must be some different type of metastatic cancer, mm-hmm. you know, just searching for any, um, any hope. And um, in that, in those internet searches, I did, I did find that there is a, there is a community, unfortunately, of young women young moms and women in their 20s who have metastatic breast cancer and have lived with it longer than the statistics say. So, you know, I feel like the longer you can hang on, the more treatment options uh, there will be. Did you share the news um, with your children? Like in what stages did you Mm -hmm. share the news with your children? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To what capacity, you know, because they're such different ages. I mean, what, what, how do you tell them in a way that they mm-hmm. can understand and also not be full of fear? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah. So my 13 year old has the internet at his disposal, really. I mean, so he knows that my two oldest boys actually know because I've been very honest with them saying that, you know, we thought that I would be done with breast cancer, but it, you know, it turns out that I will always be on treatment. Um, I said, but the doctors are very hopeful that it won't come back. And if it does, then we will, we will um, have a plan at that time. How and then old this, were you when you, mm-hmm. um, when your mom was diagnosed? I was 23. Do you feel like you you learned a little bit on how to approach your children from having mm-hmm. to live through that experience as a child? Yeah, I think so, because um, I have a much younger sister and she was five at the time of when our mom died. And um, I I mean, probably didn't handle that as well as we could have because we didn't know. But now, you know, living through that, it definitely has given me a perspective of seeing my sister and how that went and then trying to make things you know easier, better, have more resources. I mean, that was 16 years ago. So yeah, I mean, there are just more resources. People are more aware. And I'm honest with our kids because um, I feel like it's, I don't know, it's actually, it's easier to just be upfront about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I have the, I have the f- great fortune of being able to be honest. And it's not as scary as I don't need to say it's, I have cancer in my, in my body. I can say there is no detectable cancer guys. And we're in a really great spot. I don't know how I would do it differently if I was in a different situation, if I was actively getting chemotherapy, if I was trying um, line of treatment after line of treatment and they were failing. I mean, at that point, I mean, I really think that professional guidance would be so beneficial because you just don't have the words to properly share that with your children. Yeah, absolutely. But I think mm-hmm. from what I can observe is that you have an amazing positivity around it. And I'm sure yeah. that that makes a huge difference on your treatments and how well they respond. And your, I mean, mm-hmm. even you're putting that faith into your surgeons and your doctors that has to translate into the energy that they put into everything that they do mm-hmm. when they're treating you, because mm-hmm. I, I really do believe in the positive, the power of positive thinking. And I think that I have clients that have 
had cancer. And I can tell you the ones that are positive about it, their whole life is different. Like Mm -hmm. there are the ones that have, you know, the woe is me and then everything's doom and gloom and they don't last long. I have lost clients to that. And the ones that are positive about it, I still have them in my chair and they get to share with me. And there's just this like a newfound appreciation for life. And Mm -hmm. I guess that like leads into my next question is like, has your way you mother changed since your diagnosis? Mm -hmm. I try to be a little gentler. (laughs) (laughs) But man, they test you, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did I mention the first three are boys? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I have three girls and I don't know if they're any easier. So I will, I will second that after having, you know, a daughter now, she is, um, she is probably equal to three boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, living with intention and parenting with intention. And I mean, yesterday, for example, uh, my husband and I are going out of town tomorrow. And so yesterday I could have, should have been doing a lot of prep work to, for us to leave, but instead we went down to the drugstore and got some nail polish and played spa for half of the day because, you know, I could pack at night. I could finish the laundry when she went to bed, that type of thing. So I'm really trying to be intentional. That is the gift of this disease is that you say things to people that you want to say. You, you know, buy the pair of shoes that you want, even though it might be a splurge because you realize the fragility of life. Right. I mean, it's uh, you don't take for granted your health or um, the beautiful weather. I mean, that type of thing. And um, I've always been that way to some degree, probably because of my mother's Mm -hmm. experience. But I also, I I feel generally like a really happy person. Mm -hmm. I genuinely feel happy most of the time. Yeah. Does your husband match that energy or are you the lifter in the family? Are you always trying Mm -hmm. to like lift? Um, Kevin is a positive person. He is much more practical than I am. He does not. Um, he sees things very rational, uh, rationally. He uh, doesn't get down. I mean, he's very even keeled. Um, but I have a much higher energy level than he does. <laughs> so in that to that degree, I bring people up. But he is not um, he's not a negative person like ever. Uh, we just have different ways of expressing our positivity, well, which is good. good. You need a, yes. a counterbalance to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I just wanted to know, like, what aspects of your life have taken a big shift since it? Like, you know how mm-hmm. we all have people or things in our lives that we know don't serve us. Does mm-hmm. receiving this kind of a diagnosis just cut out the bullshit like you're just mm-hmm. ready to go? OK, no, <laughs> no, no. Yes. You yes. Can like how much of that has happened in your life since then? Yeah. I mean, going back to living intentionally, there's people that I was hanging on to because I felt like I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And so I was hanging on to them because I wanted them to be happy and they weren't, they weren't benefiting me. I was feeling probably wasn't feeling my best self when I was with them. So I definitely haven't put energy into those relationships anymore because I have so many more areas that I want to focus on. And also, too, I mean, you know, speaking to us just playing spa yesterday instead of doing it's just, you know, the realization that uh, a lot of things don't 
matter that much. Right. There's very little that has great consequence. And of course, there's, you know, daily responsibilities and that type of thing. But life is just, life is not, um, not meant to be lived for, I don't say for others, because I genuinely feel like I live my life for my kids. I live it for my father, that type of thing. But you should um, really be specific in where your focus is and where you're putting your time and energy. And that has been that has been amplified through this diagnosis for sure. Yeah. And I guess just like learning the gift of being present. I think yes. so often we're just like, we're here, but our mind is 10 other places, especially mm-hmm. as women. I think we're always multitasking in our heads, even if we're not, if we're doing one thing at, at you know, I'm folding laundry, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about 10 more things I'm going to do where, you know, that's, I think that's part of what contributes to us getting sick sometimes is like just that overstressing on our immune system internally, you know? So I don't know, like, how do we get to the point that we can learn to be present all the time without, without having to be, because now you've got this thing that, you know, is, is some, in some way looming over your head, Mm -hmm. you know, how do, how do we learn to, to have that presence of being able to take that spa day and not feeling guilty? You know, that guilt. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, I've learned that it's self-inflicted guilt. In the past, I would go be with girlfriends, like if someone's celebrating a birthday or something, and I would feel like, oh gosh, I have to get home. I have to hurry up and get home. Mm-hmm. And my husband would say to me, why? Why are you hurrying home? Everything is fine here. And I said, because I think I'm supposed to. I think I'm supposed to hurry home. And um, so he is really good at helping me you know, take a deep breath and relax too. A lot of that is just feeling. And part of that, I think that we are, um, we are being told that we're supposed to live a fast paced life and fill up all of our time and all of our hours with activities and social events. And it's frowned upon to be still. Yeah. I think it's so important to be still. Husband is so supportive in you. Mm -hmm rushing around all the time because I feel like especially just from how things were so long ago when wives were made to stay home and do all the things that that has trickled Mm -hmm. down and there still are so many men who are like where are you going why are you going to have fun and like when are you coming back to deal with the you're leaving me to babysit and it's like Mm. it's your own kids right (laughs) yes it must be not babysitting refreshing to have a husband who's supportive of you making sure that you have that time for yourself Absolutely. I mean, Kevin, I mean, there are, you know, there are um, stereotypical gender roles. And um, so I kind of joke that ours are flip-flopped a little bit because Kevin is the one who planned our wedding. Oh, wow. (laughs) To give it because he likes to be in control. He has a spreadsheet. He has a budget. (laughs) Is he an engineer? (laughs) Well, close, close. He does. He works in construction as a, as like a project manager. And so that's what he, that's what he does. Yeah. That is his job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he, um, yeah, he lives his his role well. But yeah, we balance each other very well in that way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys like to do together? Oh, my gosh. Have we Oh, I mean, it has changed because we don't have time to, to do anything. I mean, there will be days where we'll literally high five each other. He'll come home from work. He'll change into... Um, hockey gear and then he'll take the boys to hockey or he'll go to football practice. He really, I mean, he's an incredible person. He works hard all day. He works hard. I mean, so I don't need to work. 
And then he comes home and he does all the kids activities. I mean, I'm a professional um, chauffeur as well. Right. So I am running, but he's, he does it equally. And um, we share household responsibilities. I mean, he's, he really is an incredible person. So I feel, I feel fortunate in that way too. We don't see each other a lot, but we are going to Florida tomorrow. Great. <laughs> just, so, just the two of us. Yes. Oh, that's, um, a, that's awesome. My, my fantastic father is coming to make sure the house doesn't burn down and everyone survives <laughs> a couple days. And guess what? It'll still be It'll standing. Be yes. And there, there be may standing. be some messes that weren't there before you left. Mm-hmm. So worth it. Is this the first time so getting away without kids since your diagnosis? Um, we stayed. A friend, Tamara, gifted us a night in her um, beautiful Airbnb over Valentine's Day when I was going through chemo. But that was, you know, in Minneapolis. We went for like 12 hours. This is our first real time away. How yes. many days? We're leaving Wednesday, come back Saturday. So, um, you know, just long enough. Yeah. What's first on the list when you get there? Well, my close girlfriend is getting married. So we are going to jump into wedding activities and um, sit by the pool and not have to cut up someone's chicken strips. I hear you. I hear you. I can just worry about my own food getting in my own mouth. It's the biggest gift, isn't it? I mean, yeah, maybe have a cocktail and hang out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, your husband's really looking forward to it, too, because it's so hard. Oh, yes. To feel like you can connect with your spouse when you've always got these little people that need mm-hmm. attention. Like, I know I feel that sometimes it's like I just my husband and I just went away for the first time in four years, uh, like a month ago. And we just went two nights, but it was so nice to just be able to, like, have a conversation and without mm-hmm. someone interrupting us and really like, it's amazing how just a little snippet of time can just really make you feel connected, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah, when you do have these good men that are just walking yeah. in these difficult moments. Oh, my gosh. He's, I mean, people have checked in and like, hey, how's Kevin doing? Yeah. I, I, you know, he's, he's good. He's so, I mean, they do get forgotten about in some in tough times like that. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's great. Is there anything that you have to do to kind of like take care of your mental health during this time? Mm. Um, I run, I run. That's my outlet. Um, And um, there was a time when I thought that um, taking an anti-anxiety drug would be uh, weak. And when I got my diagnosis, I felt like I said, like I was in the middle of the ocean drowning and my doctor said, I want you to consider taking a low-dose anti-anxiety. And I was like, I can't do that. If I do that, that means that there's something wrong with me. And then That's I was like, wait a second. <laughs> you lost yeah. the battle with anxiety. Yeah. And so um, anyway, that helped with my mental health. But also I have um, daily devotionals that, you know, just connecting in that way and taking a deep breath, even if it's, you know, sitting in that stillness for a little bit. Like, okay, just check in and see, you know, where I'm at with things. But running is absolutely where I find my... Your peace. My, you know, my peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which is... Do you journal? Running is getting harder. Um, I would love to journal. <laughs> when I got my diagnosis, I bought each kiddo a journal and I started writing to them. Oh. And um, that was sad. Yeah. That was really sad. 
because I was imagining them reading it when I wasn't here anymore. Yeah. Which would be a gift uh, to them, but it was also, it's really hard to do because it's, it's so makes it very real. Absolutely. What, uh, what's going on. And if I can hide in the, in the oblivion of, um, you know, not writing it down. Yeah, that is. So I think that at some point um, I will get back into it, but it's just too, it's too raw. Yeah. yeah. To do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes we overthink journaling. It's like, you have to figure out how you want it to sound and all this stuff. Mm. Sometimes, it's like almost as if someone's going to read it. It needs to yeah, be this. Like, yes. And thing. no. And I, like, I look back at some of my journaling and it, it just <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. But <laughs> looks like a second grader. Wrote. Yeah. And there's, yes. something to just, there's something cathartic about just putting the pen yeah. to the paper and letting mm-hmm. that flow. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just for me, it's always, I don't know why I neglect it when I do neglect it. But when I start doing it again, I'm like, why did I stop? It's such an easy mm-hmm. thing that I can do for two minutes in the car before I pick up the kids. Oh, you're I right. just got this random thought out that was floating around in here. And now it's here and now yeah. it's floating, you know, so it's just like something mm. that just grounds me. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I am so glad you said that because I do have that it stuck in my head that I need to sit down and write something meaningful and thoughtful. Yeah, and I don't have to be. Have to be. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this this changes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just you know there are little things that we tend to overlook so much. So if there is one thing you could tell women, because I know you mentioned mm-hmm. got your mammogram, you were 38 and 40 is the normal. And I know there's like a lot of controversy around why it's that late. Why mm-hmm. are we waiting that long? Especially when so many more women are getting breast cancer younger and younger. Um, so if there's one thing you could tell women, young women, old women, whoever of the world after this whole experience, what would, what would your advice be? Even if it doesn't revolve around breast cancer, but just, yeah. No, I think that um, no one is going to care about your health as much as you do. And if your care team isn't listening to you, you have the wrong care team. I know that, I know that um, insurance restricts it, but um, you know, you can't just go anywhere, but um, you have to be your loudest out advocate. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was fortunate. I didn't need to be loud. I was, um, I had a, I have a doctor who listened to me and I was able to, to do this and more likely than not, you're not going to end up, end up in my situation. I mean, it is, um, but, but to be your own advocate and, um, don't let someone tell you you're too young because if you have breast tissue, you are not too young to have breast cancer. Unfortunately, that is, um, what I have, what is what I have learned. Does this type of breast cancer only um, affect women or can, cause I know it's a small percentage of men that get breast cancer, but is metastatic mm-hmm. breast cancer strictly for women because it is hormone fed? No. So metastatic breast cancers um, is the only type of breast cancer you die from. It's stage four breast cancer. And so metastatic simply means that it's left the original tumor site and has either metastasized to your brain, your lungs, an organ, your bones. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You look back on that moment of not feeling anything and your doctor not feeling anything and Mm -hmm. you just knowing, like, how does that play out when you're looking back? Like, because I mean, in my mind, having that intuition and Mm -hmm. knowing that something was wrong and then following that through, like, is 
so powerful. Like how do you, mm-hmm. how does that moment in your mind like stick with you? So, um, giving Oprah a lot of credit here, ladies, <laughs> but, um, I remember watching Oprah once and she said, if you are listening, the universe is talking to us. It is speaking to us. You just need to be open to listening to it. Mm -hmm. And so I took that to heart several years before my diagnosis. And so, um, and I think that if you even have that thought in your head, like this is, you know, be aware of what's going on around you. It is helpful in not such large ways as a health diagnosis, but it'll, um, for instance, you know, like I said, like that feeling of having the coffee maker on that same type of intuition, there is something, there's a reason you're feeling that like nudge or something. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to it, I think that maybe it isn't a big thing. Maybe it's a little thing. But just listening to it more and more, you become able to hear it more easily. So I I look back on that and I think, well, first of all, I was lucky that I did pursue it. Um, And, you know, trying to be more, even more aware of it now. Hate to keep saying it's luck, but I don't know. Because I I don't want to say that I, there are women who are going to say, oh, gosh, I, I didn't listen to that soon enough. It is my fault that it metastasized. It is. And I, breast cancer is never anyone's fault. You are not going to be able to prevent getting breast cancer. You can detect it early, but it's never going to be your fault. And so even if you didn't listen to it or you didn't hear it, it's, um, so I don't want to put that on anyone either, but. Yeah. It's like the, how quickly the mind goes to blame and yes. always blaming yourself. You're always the, the worst person ever. Mm-hmm. When you don't listen to your intuition. Cause there are times where, you know, you get that voice in your head and you do it anyway, or you, you ignore it. And looking back on it, it's always like, I should have just listened yes. to myself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So just really, and that's like one of the things that I just try to teach my girls in general is like, you listen to that voice, it's going to be your best compass in life because I can tell you all the times I've gotten into crazy situations. I didn't and, listen to it. And yes. I didn't listen to it, you know, yeah. and yeah. it's just um, teaching our kids to to listen. And it's not to mm-hmm. us. It's like you're your own best teacher sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you have to listen to that voice. Yeah. Yes. Learn to trust, learn to trust yourself because, yeah, you know yourself best. Do you mm-hmm. have, um, I've seen a little bit on your Instagram, but do you have like a fundraiser or a charity that you have? Oh, you oh I don't know. I might, I might have. <laughs> As she pulls out the gear. I love it. What is it? There's the gear. So this is one of our, one of our uh, merchandise uh-huh. pieces. When I sign cards, rather than writing love, I'll write, I make this, uh, this heart at the bottom with my name. And um, those late night internet searches, I found out that stage four, um, metastatic breast cancer only receives 3% of all breast cancer funding. Like I said, it's the only breast cancer that you die from. Even if you're diagnosed uh, at stage zero, one, two, or three, which one in eight women will be, 30% of those women will have recurrence and that'll be stage four metastatic breast cancer. Yeah. And so those statistics were just shocking to me because if that's the cancer that we are dying from, why aren't we funding it yeah. um, more? You know, uh, So I decided that not even like Mm -hmm. for research, because clearly the research is what it is. But what about for support of the families that, you know, like you said, don't have the finances, you know, or whatever the support that you need to get to and from treatment? I'm Mm -hmm. sure it would be a crazy expense with how much you have to be driving around. I mean, it's just I find it really hard to believe that we don't have this kind of 
support for this type of cancer, but mm-hmm. you know, the tons of other things being funded, like uh, erectile dysfunction. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, come on, that yes. is not life or death. We can live without that. <laughs> well, that's a whole, that's a whole other podcast, you guys. Like we can go down that. <laughs> we can go down that route. Oh man. Okay. So okay. tell us about your, your organization. Is it oh, yeah. <clears throat> what is it? Yeah. Um, so uh, my last name is Branikar. And in trying to put some kind of purpose behind this pain, we started Vranicure. And we, I mean, me and some girlfriends that I have drug in to help me. So Metaviver donates 100% of its funds to uh, research for stage four. And um, so we started like, if I run a mile and if you donate, I'll dedicate the run to you or a loved one. Well, very quickly, we saw that that was not, um, I could not keep up with the donations. <laughs> a lot of miles. So, yeah, it's a lot of miles. And we raise quite a bit of money. And we um, have a fellow thriver. That's what we call a stage four. Uh, Since we can't claim survivorship, we are thrivers. Um, Lindsay and I, yeah, we we first raised about $20,000 from just solely from donations and saying we would run. And then I developed Vranicure because I couldn't run that much. And I thought, well, what would be impactful? It would spark conversation because I feel like we say that metastatic breast cancer is like the pink elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And I remember that for that very short time that I was, I thought that I was stage two, I didn't even want to think about stage four. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was a possibility, but I didn't want to put any energy into that because I didn't want it to happen. So I understand why other breast cancer survivors and that type of thing don't put um, any energy or focus on stage four, because it's so scary. I mean, it's it's incurable. It is a terminal disease. So I understand why there's not a lot of attention, but I decided we need to do something about this. And everyone likes a good hat. And I didn't want anything pink because breast cancer for me is not pink. I think pink is like, you know, like a ballerina and bubblegum and cotton bubble candy gum. and all these lovely things. So we do black and white and we put that logo on um, just about anything. 100% of the proceeds go to Metaviver. Uh, we are like dollars away from $50,000. And at $50,000, they will grant money to be um, used in your name. So we are getting very close. Uh, we have our sales window for items that will be delivered by the holidays. It's open right now through next week. And we have mittens and hats and mugs and all types of things. But um, 100% of the proceeds are being donated. Our um, production, the manufacturer of who's you know making all the gear for us doesn't make any money. I don't make any money. We're really, really working to advance research and only money will do that. So we're trying to do our part to help save my life and other women and men like me. That's amazing. But this is a perfect time to be putting this out because we can maybe help contribute to you reaching your goal of 50,000. And I sport hats all the time when I run because I'm a runner. Oh, yay. Yeah. So I will definitely be getting myself a hat. That's awesome. I can't run with the short hair because it just like pops and it just gets in the way. So I've got like Mm -hmm. a handful of hats I rotate. So I'm definitely going to add one to my repertoire. We're on Facebook and on Instagram and it's brand 
manicure. So it's easy to find either by the hashtag or to search on Facebook. And yeah, I really appreciate it. I will say the hair, I've never had short hair. This is what um, a year and a half of growth and chemo gave me great hair. It's curly and like, it's got body and like, I'm kind of thinking of keeping it short. It's always been so long. I had one client that after her cancer, she wanted to keep the curls. So we just gave her perms to keep Uh the And that was until she, I mean, her cancer just kept coming back in different ways, Mm. but she loved her, her curls. And she, she's like, I love my chemo hair. So I did too. Yeah. It took some time. I was, I was hating it for a while just because I hated how I got it. And the texture is different too, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Well, it looks beautiful. You're beautiful. Thank you. You're glowing. You are just like positivity so thank you so i feel it this is how i feel like i just want to hug both of you like oh, oh, i wish we could <laughs> okay well if you I ever have... make it to minneapolis then well yeah. absolutely that would be amazing <laughs> if we could get together yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah come in september not january no i can't handle cold no, like I... cold in california is 60 degrees for me I'm oh, like, that sounds oh. great i'm checking checking the temperature it's 34 right now. Oh, and, right now? Uh, so right we're now it snowed 90, the other day. We're going to have a 90 degree day today. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say so much. I, thank you so much. Okay. Seriously. I, this like having the opportunity to talk about metastatic breast cancer is few and far between. And it's, we get one day in October during the whole breast cancer awareness month. There's one day for the cancer that kills you. So any opportunity to share awareness and you know is appreciated so i just i can't tell you how much this this means to me thank you so much thank you so much for being vulnerable and open Mm -hmm. to sharing your story and really just all i see is just bright light so yeah Yeah. thank you so much started this platform with the intention of sharing things that people don't usually talk Talk about about. (laughs) or it's not like mainstream we talk so much about anxiety and depression and just the hard things, mothering, being a wife, all the things. So if we can highlight a hard thing that people need to be aware of and give you support, then that's what we're here for. That's awesome. You guys are doing a great job. I appreciate you both so much. And I have one last question for you. Okay. You can give our listeners one tip for living their most unfiltered life. What would that be? Oh, gosh. Um, Throw out others' expectations of you. And just be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, ladies. Have a wonderful time in Florida. And you deserve this this break you're going to get. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Okay. We'll talk to you girls. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Life's Lemonade Unfiltered. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at lifeslemonade.unfiltered. And remember, lemon drops, be kind, stay curious, live unfiltered.